0: This past summer, Taylor Swift was not only touring the country, playing shows in sold out arenas, but on one evening on the Jersey Shore, she went to dinner. She went to dinner to get a sandwich with some friends, and suddenly, thousands of bloodthirsty Swifties showed up. <laughs> they showed up clamoring to get a picture, to get a glimpse of their idol, Taylor Swift. They were so desperate to get a picture of her, maybe even a picture with her, that they were willing to camp outside in the thousands of a sandwich shop in New Jersey, watching her get a bite with her friends. Now, Taylor Swift is ruling the world. I don't want to take anything away from her. I don't particularly understand it, but I'm told by my teenage daughter that she's a very, very, very big deal for very, very good reasons. In fact, last night we were texting back and forth and she was trying to help me understand why it is important that, that Taylor Swift changed the lyrics to karma in reference to Travis Kelsey. I don't know what that means. But apparently it's very, very important and we should all be concerned about it. Now, believe it or not, at one point in Jesus' ministry, he was really, really popular too. In fact, he was, he was like Taylor Swift level popular in Jerusalem. The Gospel of Luke at the beginning of the 12th chapter tells us that Jesus was so popular that when he would show up in a place that thousands, literally thousands of people would, would rush to see him and that and it says in chapter 12 verse 2 that people would trample over themselves trying to get a glimpse of Jesus and trying to hear just a snippet of what he had to say. And on one particular occasion, a crowd gathered around Jesus, desperate to hear what he had to say, and then Jesus told a story that in all likelihood turned a lot of them away. Because what Jesus said in this story is, God thinks you are foolish. Jesus told a story that said, look, if you're, if you're like the man in the parable, you are a fool. Fool in the eyes of God. I imagine that's not the best message to keep a fan base rabid and happy. The reason I bring that up is because today we're continuing a teaching series that we started last week called The Tipping Point, where we're examining what it means to live a life of of extravagant, biblical, faith-filled generosity. The kind of generous life where you go beyond the bare minimum of generosity and you engage in, in giving and sharing and sacrificing in such a way that it makes an impact on the lives of others. And the question that hangs over this series is, is this, what is it that someone who's gone beyond the tipping point, what is it that he or she knows that, that I should know, that you should know to help us to help us go beyond the bare minimum as well? And, and as you'll see today, One of the many things that someone who's gone beyond the tipping point knows is this. That it is better to be a fool in the eyes of the world than to be a fool in the eyes of God. So Jesus is drawing a crowd and in the middle of this crowd is a man who pushes himself to the center and he asks Jesus a question. He asks him a question about a family dispute. Apparently, this man's father had passed away, and he and his brother are trying to figure out how to split the family inheritance. And it's not said in the text, but, but it's implied that this man who comes to Jesus with this question is the younger of two brothers. The tradition in first century Palestine was that when the patriarch passed away, the estate would be split between the children, but the oldest son would get two-thirds of the estate, and what we see in this interaction is that this young man came to Jesus and he asks, actually quite specifically, he says, tell my brother to split the estate in half with me. I don't want just a third, I want a full half share, the same as he gets. So he comes to Jesus with this family dispute and Jesus responds to it in such an interesting way. He looks at him, and he's like, why do you think that this is my problem? I'm, I'm not, I'm Jesus, not Judge Judy, Okay. I am not here to figure out who should get what portion of the land, but Jesus sees the issue underneath the issue, and he offers this this word of warning to the young man who burst through the crowd, and this is what he says, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, look, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. You know what coveting is. Coveting is wanting what other people have and not appreciating what you have. But here's the real important point. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, there is more to life than stuff. Jesus is saying, look, be careful. Behind your question is a concern a concern that I have for you, that you have bought into a lie that so many humans buy into. And the lie is this, that this, this flesh and blood, earthly world that you can touch and taste and feel with all of its possessions and all of its power and all of its earthly things, you are buying into the lie that this is all that there is. Be careful, there is more to life than grabbing stuff from this physical world and holding onto it for dear life. Be careful that you don't fall into that trap. The lie that he bought and that so many of us fall into is that this physical world is really all that there is. Now, Jesus continues and he turns from the man who'd asked the question about his family estate and he turns towards the entire crowd and he uses that interaction with the one as a leaping off point for a teaching point for everyone in the crowd on this same subject. And so here's what happens starting now at verse 16. Jesus told the crowd a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have nowhere to store all my crops. What a good problem, huh? I got so much stuff. Remember, first century agrarian lifestyle, crops equals money. This is money in the bank. I got so much money. I'm Scrooge McDuck. I could swim in it. Nineties reference. I got so much stuff. What am I going to do with it? And he said, ah. I'll do this. I will tear down my barns. This is a good excuse to upgrade, a little home renovation project. I will tear down my barns where I store all my stuff, and I'll build even bigger ones, and then I can store this excess of stuff. I can store all my grain and all my goods. So the man in the parable is incredibly successful. And he responds to his success, this bumper crop, by saying, look, I need a place to store it all so I can keep it all, so I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger barns, and haul all of my stuff into there. And and what Jesus is getting at, at this particular point in the parable, is that this man has fallen into, has fallen into the same trap that the man who brought the question to him had. This world is all that there is. And if this world is all that there is, then grabbing and holding on to all the stuff of this world is the most important thing in the world. And so if holding on to the stuff of this world is the only game in town, it's the only game worth winning, then my my goal with all of my possessions is to either spend it on myself to enrich my life or store it and hold on to it. I have really two options. I can spend it on myself or I can store it and hoard it, and hold on to it. Now, this, this parable is not a condemnation of success. Before any of the financial planners in the room send me a mean email about how I condemned planning and saving for retirement, I'm not doing that. Jesus is not doing that in this parable. This is not a condemnation of success. It's not bad to have a bump or crop, whatever that equals for you. It is certainly not bad to, to plan and to save and to care for yourselves and to care for the people that you love now and into the future Jesus is simply in this part of the parable pointing out that this man gives himself just two options in the face of success. The option is spend it on myself, build a bigger barn, or hoard all my stuff and throw it into my barns. There's no other option. And Jesus' point is when you limit your options, you're missing out. You're missing out on something bigger and something greater that God has in store for you. We buy the lie that every ounce of my stuff is meant to be spent or stored. And when those are the only two options for you, one of the things you'll quickly discover is that you never, ever have enough. The parable continues. And Jesus talks about what these other options are. In fact, it's actually implied throughout the parable. So if the two options we give ourselves are to spend our stuff or to store our stuff Uh, the other option that's not stated but is implied is what you could share your stuff I mean that's ultimately what Jesus wants the man in the parable to do but the man in the parable doesn't he's like I'll spend it or I'll store it but the other option is to share it And, and it's important that that's not stated in the parable it's not on the man's mind at all And again, this parable is not just about the man and the story, it's not just about that crowd, it's about you and I. When we fall into the lie that this world is all that there is and that the only options we have are to spend what we have on ourselves or to store it up for ourselves, then then sharing what we have is going to be way, way down the list if it's on the list at all. Look, I know that we we live in an interesting economy right now, but despite the fact that, that that inflation is high and that a bushel of grapes cost 38 bucks at H-E-B. Despite that fact, you and I still are very blessed people. We live in a very blessed time in a very blessed part of the world. And if you look at the data, we are doing what the man in the parable does. A couple of headlines that jumped out to me recently. One is that consumer spending in the United States is up. You would think that in a rough economy, with inflation high, with things costing more, that we would be spending less on ourselves. But consumer spending in the United States is up. It's been up for the last two years, and it's going up. You know what is down in 2023, down to a 30-year low, is charitable giving. Charitable giving is at its lowest point since 1995. The average American household now gives less than 2% of what they have to any kind of charity whatsoever. 1.7%. That's it. And, and life in the church, we are not immune to this. In the church, only one-third of the people who go to church on a regular basis give anything to the church that they call home, one-third. And of those who do give, on average, it's between 3 and 5% of their household income, and that number is declining. That number is declining, despite the fact that wealth among American Christians is skyrocketing here's what's happening. You and I get lured into the lie that this is all there is, so the only game is to hoard as much of it as we we can. And the only options we really have, since this is all that there is, is to either spend the stuff on ourselves to get more stuff or to, to hold on to it and build bigger barns. We are in the business of barn building. That's why the option to share isn't even on the radar of us or the man in the parable. Let's keep going. Starting now at verse 19, Jesus continues the story and he delves deeper into the mind of the rich man in the parable. This is Jesus now speaking as the rich man in the parable. The man says, I'll build bigger barns, I'll store all my stuff, and then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. When we start to think that this is all there is, Possessions and stuff, they, they start to take on a religious weight and urgency for us. Because attaining it becomes the only game that we can perceive. It becomes a source of, of peace for us. It, it becomes key to our identity, key to our sense of well-being, and indeed, that's what's happened to the man in the parable. He builds this bigger barn and he says, once I have the bigger barn built and filled, then I'll be able to say to my soul, now you can rest easy. Now you can relax. Now you've accomplished everything that matters in life. Now you can have peace. He, he's fallen into a further lie that now says the, the spending and the storing of stuff is, is the path to my peace as a human being. And once again you and i you and i are not immune to this thinking we're not just a couple of weeks ago the powerball was at like 1.2 billion remember and in my house just because it's fun when the when the powerball gets really big we we buy a ticket and my son was convinced that we were going to win convinced nine years old convinced we were about to get like a windfall hundreds of millions of dollars and so he would ask me did they draw the numbers yet Did they draw the numbers yet no they draw the numbers after you go to bed okay wake me up if we win i'm like i got you i will wake you up i will wake you up if we win and so we did that thing where you fantasize about like what you would do if you won all the money so at the dinner table we're talking about all the things that we do all the problems that it would solve for us and all the problems we'd solve for other people if we if we won a billion dollars and at one point in the conversation my son turns to me and says, Dad, if we win, we will have so much Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and he said that to me, and what I said in response was, son, if we, if we win, we will live in a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> we, we believe that if we have more, will have less problems. Despite the fact that we've been told cautionary tale after cautionary tale after cautionary tale that that if you have more of the stuff of this world, it it doesn't give you any more peace. It just just gives you different problems. On a serious and sad note, a couple of weeks ago, Matthew Perry, the actor, passed away. And he very publicly and, and very tragically wrestled with a whole lot of difficult things. Uh, among them was, was a lifelong battle with, with addiction, which, which is, through, through brain chemistry and genetics and a, and a whole lot of other things, is, is a wrestling with consumption. It, it is the idea, it is, it is the impulse that by consuming something of this world, I can, I can satisfy myself, I can gratify myself, I can have at a deeper level maybe even some peace and some wholeness, but, but all the while, your dependence upon it is killing you. In his memoir, he wrote really openly that despite the fact that he had millions of dollars, despite the fact that he lived in a beautiful home in the Hollywood Hills, despite the fact that he dated every A-list woman in the 90s, despite the fact that he consumed and tried everything there was to indulge, despite the fact that he ironically starred in a show called Friends, at the heart of his struggles was a deep and desperate loneliness that none of the things that he had could cure. We've seen that played out a thousand times, haven't we? And yet, when it comes to ourself, even as forgiven people of God, who know better, when it comes to ourself, we're like, you know what, though? That is sad, but but I saw this barn on Amazon (laughs) that if I could just and if I could just build that and fill that, I'll be okay. So like, what's the barn for you, right? Is it, is it a certain amount of money in your bank? Is it a certain level in your retirement? Is it, is it a certain size house that you want to get into? Is it a certain kind of family you want to build? Is it a certain level of acclaim in your work? What is the thing of this world that you are convinced matters the most and you're tempted to hold on to and have and to hoard and stockpile so that you might have peace and wholeness and security as a human being? What is it for you? Now, Jesus continues in the parable, and and now, all of a sudden, in the parable, it gets really awkward. It gets really intense, because in the parable, Jesus raises the stakes. Listen to what happens next, starting at verse 20. But God said to the man, fool, you could also interpret this, you could also translate this as idiot or buffoon. This is, to my knowledge, the only time that God calls someone stupid, which my nine-year-old will tell you in our house, we don't use those words. But the God of the universe calls the man in the parable stupid. He says, you are so stupid, so foolish. Tonight, your soul is going to be required of you. Tonight, you're going to die. And the things you've prepared, who's are they going to be? They're going to go to other people. You're a fool. And so are those, this is Jesus speaking, so are those who lay up treasure for himself and are not rich towards God. There it is. The man is a fool because he's worried only about earthly things and has neglected the most important thing. He's neglected the fact that there is, there is a person and there is a place and there is all this stuff beyond what we can see with our eyes and touch with our hands and he's paid no attention to it at all. And if I were to boil it down, what is it that people who have gone beyond the tipping point in their faith and are living lives of supreme generosity, one of the things that they know is this, and it sounds so simple, but it's easy to forget. There is more. There is more than what you can see. There is a person to which you are accountable, who loves you, and a place to which we are going that will last forever. And with that person and in that place, the amount of money that you have, the size of your house, the color on the bottom of your shoes, the name on the tag on your jacket, the make and model of your car, get you nothing get you nothing whatsoever in the eyes of that person to whom you belong and that place to which you are going. And friends, we are going to spend in the grand scheme of eternity far more time in his presence and in this place than we spend here. And so what God is saying through Jesus in the parable is the wise person is the one who knows that this is temporary and the treasure, the treasure has no traction in what is to come. You're going to be there longer, and what you hoard now won't help you. The wise person knows that. As the famous Archbishop of Canterbury from like the 17th century, John Tillotson once said, these are great words, he said, He who provides for this life but takes not care for eternity is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. So in the parable, Jesus says to the man, You fool, I'm going to take your life. All this stuff is going to be lost. You're foolish unless you turn and are rich toward God. So then that kicks up a question, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, I think that works on two levels. On the first and primary level, to be rich toward God is is to have faith in Him. It's to have a relationship with Him. It's to recognize Him, to, to give credit to Him. Notice in the parable, the man who produces this bumper crop He he never gives thanks to God, never recognizes God. There's no mention of God. Who does he credit? Himself. He has no faith, no relationship whatsoever. So it starts there. God is real. He loves you. He gave you everything that you have. And he deserves your full and undivided attention and devotion and your gratitude. And he has made that relationship possible through his son, Jesus Christ. Being rich towards God is recognizing, relying, and thanking him. That's what it is. But on the, n- the next level, if you want to really dig into it, being rich toward God is understanding the values of the one to whom you belong and the place to where you're going and seeking to use whatever resources you have today in alignment with his heart and according to the values of that place. Because ultimately, those are the things that last forever. So then what does it mean to use what I have stored in my barn in step with him and that place. Well, let's think of it this way. The the values of this this world are to gather it all in. Gather it all in and keep it. Gathering is everything in this world. Well, the values of God and his kingdom are often the exact opposite of this world. So the values of God and his kingdom, if this world says gathering is everything, God and his kingdom says, look, empty is everything. If you wanna be rich towards God, hold your stuff loosely and understand that empty is everything. Let me illustrate that with some of Jesus' own words. I made a list for us this morning. Elsewhere, Jesus says things like this. Do you want to find your life? Lose it. Empty is everything. Do you want honor? Then empty your ego. Be humble. Empty is everything. Do you want peace? Well, then you need to empty your hands of your rebellious and self-justified ways. You need to repent. Empty is everything. Do you want real power? Then you need to lower yourself and serve. Empty is everything. Likewise, if you come to God and you say, look, I'm full on my own, he'll look at you and say, you're empty without me. If you come to God and say, I'm empty-handed, I've got nothing, he'll say, I know, and I'll put in your hands everything you need to be happy and whole and to have peace peace. So what do you think this means with your stuff? What you're after is the fullness of life, the richness of life. You want the rich and full life. And this world says gathering and getting is everything. God says emptying is everything. So what does it mean to be rich in this life? It doesn't mean big, building bigger barns. What it means is opening up the doors and letting some of it out. It's, it's sharing. It's, it's giving. It's, it's, it's handing things out. It is, it is letting go. Letting go. And the world will call you foolish. The world will call you foolish and you can say, look, I am not a fool. I just know who I belong to and where I am going and what this is really worth. What would it look like for you to open up the barn rather than stuff more stuff into it? What would it look like for you to do that? To be in step at the heart of your father and the place to where you're going, what would it look like for you and your family? I'll, I'll share this little story as I close. The, the story is told of a mother and her young daughter, and the mother wanted to teach her young daughter about generosity, and so she decided she was going to take her daughter to church. And on the ride to church, she handed her daughter a dollar twenty-five, a dollar and a quarter. And she said, when they pass the plate in church today, I want you to give whatever you think is best to the church. I want you to put whatever you think is best in the plate. And so they go to church. Church is over. They're walking back out to their car, and mom turns to the daughter and says, so what did you do? What did you give today? And the daughter thought long and hard, and finally she said to her mom, well, I was going to give the dollar, but then the man at the front said that God loves a cheerful giver. And I knew that I would be more cheerful if I gave the quarter. <laughs> so that's what I did. On one hand, you can't argue with that child's logic. I say that just to, just to illustrate that this idea that, that this is all there is and I have to hold on to it and I have to store it and spend it only on myself, that that notion starts really, really young, doesn't it? And it is so hard to shake. But, but may we be the people who know that there is more. There is more than what we see, more than what we can touch. There is more to life than just gathering up stuff and hoarding it for ourselves and, and lying to ourselves and thinking that it is in any way, shape, or form a pathway to peace. But let us be the kind of people who, who know that it's foolish to clamor for half an inheritance when Jesus Christ has guaranteed a full one in eternity. May we be the kind of people who can open up the storehouse, understanding that the life we long to have comes with emptying our hands, not hoarding. May we be the kind of people who know that it is better to let go of what we cannot keep so that we may lay hold of more of what we cannot lose. Amen.